once again, we're going to trace an ebbing away and then a flowing back of the power and presence of God. So during the 1830s and 40s and 50s, we don't see much happening, but in 1857, God is going to grant another time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord in five different distinct places. This is going to be the year, 1857, of the great Irish revival in um, Belfast. And then it's going to be a year of Scottish revival. It's going to be the year that uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon begins to see some enormous crowds uh, coming to his church in London, like 20,000 people. Um, it's going to be an amazing year in Britain, but then it's going to be an, a, an amazing year also in uh, the United States, uh, where God is going to come in two distinct revival movements. And uh, that's why I can't really go along with uh, Charles Finney's statement that we can have revival anytime we want, if we're willing to pay the price and do the the things that God says that we have to do in order to get it. Really, God is the one in charge. He doesn't sell his sovereignty, in other words. Uh, he's in charge of the timing of things. Otherwise, we'd have to believe that it was just coincidence that all of these revivals broke out in the same time in all these different places. We're going to see an increasingly worldwide, global pattern of great awakenings. It's growing, in other words, because God is in charge of the growth. It isn't just a matter that we get to do what we want. Um, even though there is a part that God asks us to play, and we are in covenant with him, and the main part that we play is the prayer part. There's also a piece called the By My Spirit Lifestyle. And if we get those two parts, and really the prayer part is, is a piece of the greater thing, the By My Spirit Lifestyle is absolutely required if we're going to be um, in the presence of God, uh, enjoying a time of refreshing. And so let me... Um, begin by sharing with you the Charleston revival. Okay, so there's a there's going to be an outpouring in the north and there's going to be an outpouring in the south. This is the first time we've seen that. Uh, in the south, um, Charleston is ground zero uh, for an enormous thing that began to happen. And it happened because a group of uh, slave owners who were Presbyterians decided that there needed to be a church for slaves in Charleston. I don't hear this happening much at all, if, if at all, in the South. Um, the, the laws are still on the books uh, that slaves are not to be uh, engaging in their own religious gatherings. Okay, so, uh, and yet here is a group of Presbyterians 
who are starting a church, a Presbyterian church in Charleston that is for slaves. And they're going to build a building and then they're going to call a white pastor in. And um, apparently there's going to be white elders, but there's going to be black members and it's a church for slaves. The person that is uh, called to be the pastor of this church um, doesn't last long. He gets um, quite ill and he has to give up the ministry. So then they call John Lafayette Gerardo, this man. John Lafayette Gerardo was tailor-made for this position. Uh, he had a heart for the poor and he had a heart for slaves and at age 29 he's moving into uh, a church that just looks like it was made exactly for him and uh, try to picture this now here's a church that these um, uh, plantation owners have built for slaves. It's got, it's got space for 600 people. Okay, so this is a major church building, but there's only 36 slaves and a, a handful of other people. Apparently, these would be the white people who were appointed as elders of the church and their families. So uh, we're talking about a handful of people and a huge facility. Um, and uh, between 1854 and 1857, somewhere in that three-year period, uh, John Lafayette Gerardo decides that what is needed is prayer. And so I'm going to just read to you the only account that I've been able to find of the actual event of God's visitation and what it took to attract a visitation of God. So here's the account from The Life Work of John Lafayette Gerardo by George Blackburn, written in 1916. For weeks he gathered his congregation nightly to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. In these services there was no preaching, but they were prayer meetings only. And the effort of the pastor was to have all the prayers concentrated upon the outpouring of the Spirit as the special gift of the Ascended Lord and Mediatorial King of the Church. The congregations, like those of prayer meetings usually, were not large at the beginning, but steadily grew until at the close of these meetings the house was well filled. And so just picture that now. Five or six hundred people, basically slaves, all gathered around this white pastor who refuses to preach and is going night after night after night after night with prayer meetings. And, and the prayer meetings attract more and more slaves until there's hundreds of them praying together. One night, while all were buried in prayer, there suddenly came upon all present an inexpressible feeling of awe hushing even the voice of prayer and causing a profound silence. After some seconds, this silence was broken by sobs all over the house. When this feeling had somewhat subsided, the pastor rose from his knees, announced preaching for the next night and dismissed the congregation. 
The next night, as the pastor approached the church, he was surprised to find the street filled to a considerable distance with a crowd of people eagerly pressing to get into the building. He entered the church and found every available inch of space already occupied by a congregation of both Negroes and whites. For weeks, these services continued, marked with wonderful manifestations of the Spirit's presence and power, and many were wonderfully converted. And things kept growing. Uh, after the meetings, uh, the, the nightly meetings were finished, and, and I have no record of how many nights that continued on, but then they continued with Sunday services attracting huge throngs of people so that they had to build a whole new church building um, on the corner of um, Meeting and Calhoun Streets in a very, very large facility that became a place of, um, well, the, the, the biggest church in Charleston. And John Lafayette Gerardo became known as the Spurgeon of the South. So the things that were happening with Spurgeon in London, very similar things happening in Charleston. Um, so that this man began to gain a real reputation. They, um, the irony here is that we're, we're, we're in the South now. And, and so um, picture, if you will, a white pastor preaching to a black congregation with white people in the balcony around. Apparently, the, this arrangement was achieved because the white people didn't want to mix with blacks, but they wanted to get in on what God was doing through this uh, preacher and this congregation and so they chose to go into the balconies and, um, and, and listen from there. Um, contrast that with my teaching on Robert Carter uh, III. Um, when Robert Carter, the grandson of Robert King Carter, uh, got the Holy Spirit, he went wherever he could to nurture what he had discovered. And that meant uh, churches full of slaves. He had no compunction about uh, blacks and whites meeting together because there, in Christ there is no slave nor free. And, and he was living that out, um, enjoying that Christian fellowship without any barriers whatsoever. But in Charleston, it wasn't like that, unfortunately. And so there, there was a color separation, even during the height of this revival. As late as 1874, okay, this is after the Civil War has come and gone, and um, John Lafayette Gerardo is still um, the greatest preacher of the South. You know, he's... He's got a gift that is going to be remembered for years after. And that gift is going to land him in the position of moderator of the Presbyterian General Assembly in 1874. That's the year that the Presbyterians are going to vote to make permanent 
the organic separation of the races. In other words, from here on, you have black churches and you have white churches, and you should never mix the two. Everybody in the Presbyterian church who voted, voted in favor of that, except for one, John Lafayette Gerardo, the moderator. Um, so you see, there, there's a, a moving away. It's like there, the South had to deal with the slavery issue, and that was an institutional issue. But behind that, there is a spiritual uh, stronghold that the, the Christians of the South refused to deal with. And uh, that, that stronghold is power and might Christianity. We are, we are tracing the history of that. We're tracing the conflict. We're tracing the, um, the contrast between these two varieties of Christianity with two different uh, sets of ingredients. And uh, until you've dealt with the stronghold, you're not really dealing with the real core issues. We are talking here about by my spirit Christianity and power in my Christianity, and those two have been intertwined, intertwined, intertwined all throughout history back to the time of Constantine. Well, now let's go back to um, 1857 and look at the other outpouring, which happened in New York City when um, Old North Dutch Church on Fulton Street hired this man, Jeremiah Lanfear, to be an associate pastor. And as he walked the streets of New York, um, trying to discover God's um, purpose for him in New York City, um, this is what he experienced, and this is what he wrote in his prayer journal. This is his uh, first entry to show what happened uh, to begin the outpouring in New York City. Going my rounds in the performance of my duty one day as I was walking along the streets, the idea was suggested to my mind that an hour of prayer from 12 to 1 o'clock would be beneficial to, to businessmen who usually in, in great numbers take that hour for rest and refreshment. The idea was to have singing, prayer, exhortation, relation of religious experience, as the case might be, and that none should be required to stay the whole hour. Uh, arrangements were made, and at 12 o'clock noon, on the 23rd day of September 1857, the door of the third-story lecture room was thrown open. At half-past 12, the step of a solitary individual was heard on the stairs. Shortly after, another, and then another, then another, and at last, one other, until six made up the whole company. We had a good meeting. The Lord was with us to bless us. Doesn't sound very promising, does it? Just an ordinary prayer meeting in a church on the third story. And you wonder, what was it that uh, Jeremiah Lanfear did other than pray, and the answer is very hard to understand. 
But the next prayer meeting they had, more people came, and the presence of the Lord was more manifest. And then more people came, and the presence of the Lord was more manifest. And pretty soon, the room is so full that there's no, no, no place to sit. They opened two meetings, and then three and four. And pretty soon, by May of the following year, 1858, there are eight meetings in the mornings, nine meetings at noontime, and eight meetings all throughout New York City in the afternoon. And, and, and it's just going to grow from there. Prayer meetings. Prayer meetings not led by anybody, especially not led by clergy. No preaching allowed. And the clergy are not really in any kind of visible leadership in any of these prayer meetings. Also, people from different congregations and different denominations are coming together. It just doesn't seem to be important whether you're a Presbyterian or a Baptist or an Anglican or what you are. It's a call to prayer and it's Jesus apparently calling to his royal priesthood. It's as though suddenly people realized we can pray and things start happening and things did start happening. So uh, people, uh, once again, as we've seen in other great awakenings, people converted, sometimes the least likely people converted to Christ uh, really brought down uh, into conviction of sin. I mean, God obviously and plainly pouring out his spirit in these prayer meetings. And then pretty soon, they're going to other towns. I have a list here of the very next year. Uh, Boston, Baltimore, Washington, Richmond, Charleston, Savannah, Mobile, uh, New Orleans, Vicksburg, Memphis, St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Chicago, and on and on and on. This is Samuel Prime's uh, story of the New York Revival of 1858, re written in 1859, I believe. So it's still fresh with, with Samuel, and he's able to uh, describe it um, in detail. So here is uh, a, a movement that covers virtually every city in the United States. And then the war comes. Uh, how do we understand this revival in 1857 followed almost immediately by the Civil War in 1861? You would think, wouldn't you, that um, revival would lead to blessing and that would um, cancel any plans for a war. But unfortunately, that's not the way it worked out. Um, I believe that God was coming to both North and South to bring as much blessing as he could. But then on the other side of it, God requires righteousness. God is grieved by the way we treat each other. Uh, he's grieved by gross sin and public unrighteousness. And sooner or later, we have to pay. It's like reap what you sow is an invariable law of scripture. And so sooner or later, um, if there's no repentance, there has to be... Um, a judgment, a, a time of judgment. 
And, and this is something so clear in scripture, yet we don't hear about it from the pulpit very much these days. And yet our history teaches this lesson along with all of the other lessons about revival. And so um, God was blessing our country as much as he could, but then um, there came the Civil War. And uh, with it, a new president, Abraham Lincoln. Um, may I recommend to you, by the way, um, a book that was written in uh, 2012, uh, Lincoln's Battle with God by Stephen Mansfield. Excellent book that uh, does a good job of resolving this perennial argument between historians whether Lincoln was a Christian or not. And basically he, he started out, um, especially in his 20s, being very vocally atheistic, very much against, um, well, kind of like John Newton, um, very much vocal against God and anybody who would have the stupidity to believe in God. And he gained a reputation that way, including with his law partner. Um, but uh, then in his time in Springfield, uh, he came into contact with this man, uh, who was the pastor of Springfield First Presbyterian Church whose name is James D. Smith. James Smith discipled Abraham Lincoln, spent a lot of time with him answering his questions and helping him to deal with uh, the death of a son at that time, also dealing with the whole issue of slavery. Uh, James Smith was a, an abolitionist and and there's no question, but what Abraham Lincoln really uh, solidified his views about slavery at that time while he was in Springfield, Illinois. And then he became president of the United States. And I believe God used him to interpret why we had to go through a civil war. And he did this in his most famous uh, speech. Uh, which was his second inaugural. So let me just close this uh, uh, teaching by reading to you the other side of God's grace, which is God's judgment. The Almighty has his own purposes. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to the man by whom offense cometh. If we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses which in the providence of God must needs come, but which having continued through his appointed time, he now wills to remove, and that he gives to both North and South this terrible war as the woe due to those by whom the offense came. Shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in a living God always ascribe to him? Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondmen's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, 
and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword. As was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. We have yet more to say about revival. The story is not finished. It's going to go through a season of darkness, but then there's going to be another season of great revival. And God is going to choose a black man, the son of a slave, to lead it. 